DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Father George Rutler, a parish priest in Manhattan who is a popular preacher and writer known internationally for his many TV programs on EWTN. He is the author of 19 books, and he holds degrees from Dartmouth, John Hopkins, the Angelicum in Rome, and Oxford. With Father George Rutler, we begin part one of our two-part discussion, going inside the pages of He Spoke to Us, Discerning God in People and Events, published by Ignatius Press. Father Rutler, thank you so much for joining me. Well, I'm the one to thank you. Always glad to be able to talk. Well, we really appreciate not only your time today, but also the work that you're doing, and especially in providing for us such a a wonderful book. He spoke to us, Discerning God in People and Events. It is just tremendous. Thank you. Well, I should preface my remarks by saying that I'm speaking in the middle of Manhattan. That's where my parish is, so I've got all the traffic and sirens outside, so that gives you a sense of (laughs) at least where I live. Well, you're right there in the heart of a city that has so many different influences on it, and it influences the world, And but yet it ultimately comes down to each individual person, doesn't it? There are no two people alike. That's, uh, I learned that a long, ago, a long time ago. On the other hand, human nature never changes. People have the same problems, live in different environments, of course, uh, and that's that's all, not only true of our current population. That's true of every every generation. Uh, people, different languages, different customs, different information about the world around them. But uh, everybody has a a human soul and has to deal with the same basic challenges, no matter what age they live in. And we have to remember that when we uh, read about our our Lord in in the Scripture. I mean, we belong. The people then belong to the same human race that, that we belong to, and and as St. John says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Our Lord took on this human experience as well. To be able to recognize him, to see the light of his face, you really have to be able to see and hear with the that ear of the heart. You do that so beautifully. I, I see that in every single instance you bring up in this work. Well, I called the book... He spoke to us because uh, that is what the two men remarked on the Emmaus Road on on Easter after our Lord had uh, had appeared to them. There's still discussion as to where that village of Emmaus uh, was. There are, I think, three places that claim claim to be Emmaus, but the point is that there was an Emmaus, and they were on their way to it, and more important is the fact that they were on uh, on that road. St. Luke records in detail uh, even the, the, uh, the setting of the sun at the time of the day, but uh, that road, I propose, is really symbolic of our our own lives. We're always walking along a road. When our Lord taught, most of the time, he seems to have done so walking along, at least a lot of the time, walking along the roads. That was part of the classical tradition. In fact, in, in Greece and Athens, the philosophers 
uh, walk around talking to the students, and I think one one reason was it was a it was a very good technique for keeping the students awake. But our Lord has us on a journey. Our Lord says, "I am the way and the truth and the life." He tells the apostles to follow him. So Christianity is not a sit-down thing. It's not a sedentary uh, uh, experience. Uh, these two men are so absorbed in their grief, they, they knew that Christ had been crucified, and they had placed their whole hope in him. And they thought that, uh, well, they, they had been on the wrong horse, literally. They didn't know what to do, because Christ had been so vivid, so commanding and so life-changing, how could it be that that at the very end you had this, what they thought was a tragic ending, uh, but they were so absorbed in their grief that they didn't realize who this man was who suddenly starts walking uh, um, um, between them. Mm-hmm. And so the this book uh, is an attempt to use various essays I've written over maybe a period of 20 years. I had to go through a long, a big stack, I picked, uh, picked these out, uh, just to show how in different ways, through different people, different circumstances, on different subjects, uh, our Lord is, um, is speaking to us. Um, he says to the, the two men on the road, uh, how could you be so dull of heart and not to have understood that all these things that had had to be. Then he explains to them how the prophets had said that the Messiah must suffer. Uh, but he, when he says dull, or how dull, he's not saying they're stupid, they weren't stupid. He's saying that they were basically hard of hearing. And the way we hear spiritually is with the heart. Um, we can have perfect uh, hearing, but we, if we don't pay attention... Uh, we, we don't understand what what our ear is registering in the same way with seeing. We can have 20-20 vision, but if we don't understand what we see, uh, we, well, we are spiritually blind. And these men, at that point, were spiritually uh, deaf. The, the uh, Latin word for deaf is sordus, su or D-U-S, and that's where we get absurd. Hmm. If we can't hear something, it seems absurd to us. You can experiment, you can watch something on television, but turn the sound off. If we don't understand what they're saying, they can look, people can look foolish. And if our hearts are so wrapped up, or so deaf to what God is doing through historical events, through everything that happens every day, ordinary things, and through the people we meet, then then life itself seems uh, absurd to us. Mm. I think that's what's so key about this book and why I I found it to be such a treasure, Father Rutler, is because at the subtitle it says discerning God in people and events. And you're, you're so good at helping us to be able to discern by using a history, and a lot of times recent history, because we're finding ourselves hearing the same type of voices that are distracting us in our current events. Well, I my my church here in Manhattan is on 34th Street, 
which is one of the busiest streets in in, in, in New York. I'm looking out at the entrance to the Lincoln Tunnel, non-stop traffic day and night. The, the Pennsylvania Railroad Station is a couple blocks up, and then we've got uh, Macy's Department Store. We've got the Empire State Building. Literally millions of people uh, walking and traveling by here uh, uh, every day. And yet I see, whenever I go out, I see these people walking along, just totally absorbed in their smartphones and whatever, mm-hmm. these iPods, whatever they are. I don't have, I've never even had a cell phone. Nobody mm-hmm. believes that, but I've never had one. <laughs> I guess I'll eventually have to get one. But with a whole city around, uh, around them and all these tremendous things happening, these people are just, you know, bumping into traffic because they're, they're paying no attention. It's not just a question of paying attention to the traffic light. They're not paying attention to um, you know, other people. We can live in a city uh, surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and tremendous things going on and still uh, be, be deaf uh, to these things. In the same way, if we live in a, in a lovely rural area, farm country and all that, we can, by circumstance, be forced to pay more attention. Our Lord lived in a... In an agrarian culture, he went to Jerusalem a lot, and that was a place teeming with people. But most of the time, he was along the Lake of Galilee, along these country roads. And what does he do? He stops in the field and he says, he, look, he looks at the wildflowers. He says, consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Our Lord was not distracted by a cell phone mm-hmm. <laughs> or an iPod, he was calling our attention to the beauty of, uh, of the world he had made. And mind you, I mean, this was before there were microscopes, yeah. And yet he could he could see in minute detail uh, the wildflowers. He also, before telescopes, he he knew the whole the secret of the universe. He was God as well as men, and he keeps teaching us that mm, that perspective. We're human, we're not divine, but through God's presence, it's called sanctifying grace, in our souls, he can open our intellect to the truth, and he can strengthen our will to, to see things uh, uh, his way. Then the whole world changes. That's why when he teaches us to pray, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If we do God's will, then we're, the, the kingdom of God, which is heaven, is already, mm, to a degree, uh, apparent to us. But it, it all depends on whether or not uh, we pay attention. There's a, I think there's a very effective image in the uh, Scottish uh, scientist Alexander Fleming, uh, who worked in a hospital in London, St. Mary's Hospital. It was in the 20s, 30s, and he noticed uh, in his laboratory there, there was this uh, fungus, and uh, it seemed to be eating away uh, uh, this uh, bacillus. And um, he kept looking at that and experimented, and that's how he discovered what we now call penicillin. Mm. And that 
that discovery probably has saved more lives than any any discovery in history. If it was it was mm-hmm. able to be produced in time for the Second World War, and think of how many more lives would have been lost in the terrible carnage of the Second World War had it not been for that discovery. Now, uh, penicillin uh, had been around as long longer than the human race, I suppose. But he paid attention. That was going on uh, all, all along, thousands, maybe millions of years. But it's by, by paying attention that we see the wonders of what God has provided us. Ah, uh, now see now there's the key I think paying attention and listening, again in that discerning. But yet we're a culture, as you so beautifully pointed out, it it happens in the country, it happens in the city. Everybody's got their phones now, or some type of technology that is breaking in with either a message coming at us of sound image, and it's nonstop, Father Rutler. It just does not stop. We we don't want to suffer a silence, do we? Yes, it's, it's it's very rare that we can be in a, a totally silent space. I mean, if you go into a desert, that's the closest we can get to this kind of preternatural uh, silence that existed before our Lord made all things. But even if we're in a quiet place, there'll be some traffic in the distance or airplanes or that. And... Uh, we get so accustomed to that that we become nervous without it. That's why we seek distractions. You know, a lot of people can relax at all without turning on the radio or having their uh, earphones on. I remember uh, I knew the poet W.H. Auden, and he, he, he visited me once when I, I, I put some background, a uh, record player, this is before CDs. I put the Victrola on, and I played some Baroque music, which I thought would be sophisticated for this great poet. Uh, I was in my 20s then. And he said to me, do you want to listen to me, or do you want to listen to that? <laughs> and uh, I've never been able to do have background music uh-huh. after that. Listen, listen to what uh, people... Saying and you know, all through the Bible, our Lord keeps on saying, "Hero Israel, listen to uh, my my voice." And what does the prophet say? Uh, he when he's trying to discover God. He said there was an earthquake. God was not in the earthquake. That uh, there was a fire. God was not in the fire. Uh, there was a, a, a strong wind. God was not in the wind. But then God spoke to him, and it's still small voice. Um, I've frequently had the experience of young fathers uh, who were rather indifferent, you know, absorbed, going to school and everything, getting a job. But it's when they have their first baby that their lives change. It's that little baby's voice, the little cry from the baby, coming out of the mother's womb that makes uh, what was the adolescent suddenly mature, a father. It's listening 
in that little voice. And that's an example of uh, how our Lord is speaking. And we read the Bible and we say, well, oh, these people heard, heard God. Why doesn't that happen to us? Well, we are hearing uh, God in the voice of the little baby teaching us the holiness of life, the voice of people crying out for help, laughter, crying, all these these are different ways in which our Lord is instructing us in, about good and, and evil and the gift of uh, of life. We hear that, but the secret is to uh, to listen. The great theologians like Thomas Aquinas said that there are four kinds of light that help us see. One is uh, physical light, that light that shines on the retina so we can register objects around us. Uh, but we need, secondly, the light of the intellect to interpret what we're seeing. We can see something with 20-20 vision, but uh, we have to use our intelligence to figure out the meaning of what we see. Um, and there are a lot of people who sort of stop at that. You can have people who have high intelligence, but uh, they don't know what to do with what their eye has interpreted. Um, so you need a third kind of light, which is the light of wisdom. So you a lot of people, very clever inventors, scientists, college professors, and so on, uh, but they lack lack wisdom, and that's why they can make such stupid mistakes and give such stupid advice. So, uh, but we're not to stop even the the third stage of light, uh, uh, wisdom. Uh, the wise are the philosophers. Jesus is not a philosopher; he's a savior. He's the one who interprets, uh, takes us beyond human wisdom to perceive what only he can teach us. Wisdom comes through experience, but uh, the fourth kind of light is Christ himself, the light of revelation. Mm -hmm. Uh, A wise man can shed light on a subject, but Jesus doesn't say that I am shedding light. He says, I am the light. And St. John says, well, it's the light that shines in the darkness. The darkness has never overcome it. That's the original light of divinity. And God then says, let there be light, but he makes physical light. That's the beginning of creation. But we can only understand things in this world when we follow him, uh, who uh, is the source of of, uh, of all light. Well, Father Rutler, in several of the essays, there are incredible examples of uh, for, of political leaders that we've had in the United States that, you know, on the surface, I think they thought they were following a light, and yet it led to a, something completely, utterly different and continues to cause chaos in our society. Well, um, as, as Jesus is the original light, uh, he is the guide for, uh, by shedding his heavenly light, he's the one who shows us what we are to do with things in this world. But you mentioned politics. I think um, we've we failed to distinguish between God and man, between heavenly light and earthly light, and so we developed a cult of celebrity in which 
um, the celebrity becomes a kind of of God. A celebrity is somebody that light shines on. Of course, we know that when the light goes off, the spotlight goes off. They're no longer celebrities. Uh, like fashion, fashion and clothing. You know, you can be very fashionable, but that fashion goes out of fashion very quickly. That's the difference between fashion and truth. Uh, class things classical and art, and, uh, music and philosophy. They they're permanent because they don't depend on the attention given to them by others. Mm. So when our Lord is transfigured on the, on the mountain to Peter, James, and John, the light comes from him. It's not shining on him. Mm. If Peter, James, and John, had, you know, if they had had uh, spotlights in those days and sh- show them on them, Jesus would have been a man-made celebrity. But Jesus says, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you. And that light of the transfiguration is the light of heaven that comes from him. And we are, our, our culture is in a very, very critical moment now because it has failed to distinguish between uh, celebrity and, uh, and holiness. And fame is the guide rather than uh, integrity of uh, of character. Have we lived so long in darkness or that we have become accustomed to walking in it as opposed to being in an, an area of light, to being able to recognize beauty, glory, those types of well, things? I, yeah, I, I think so. What does the scripture say? The people who dwelled in darkness have seen a great light. Mm-hmm. That light is, is God. On the on the other hand, St. John and the other apostles, one way or another, warn about people who live in sin have come to love darkness rather than light. And so the dignity of the human person becomes profane uh, and, 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 and perverse so that if if we choose darkness rather than light, well, what happens then? We uh, take pleasure in pain. Uh, our will uh, dominates uh, God's will, and then we choose death instead of life. The modern popes, one one after another, have said we are living in a... Uh, in, in a culture of, of death, the, and uh, we don't even have to speculate about this. I mean, we have the whole last, what, the 20th century to look back and to see the horrors that happen mm-hmm. when people ch- uh, chose their own will rather than God's will, chose darkness uh, rather than uh, than light. And in the Old Testament, Joshua says to the people, you know, choose this day. Uh, whom you're going to serve? You're going to choose the God of our people. Or you're going to cho- choose choose the idols, and that's the moral choice that is proposed that is proposed to every generation. And then, uh, when Jesus is preaching about the Eucharist, he doesn't use that term yet. 
he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no life in you. Uh, the people don't understand what he's saying, and, and instead of following him so that he can teach them, which he will, of course, at the Last Supper, they, they walk away. Jesus says to the apostles, will you also uh, go away? And it's Peter who speaks for the other apostles, who says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, you know, Peter's every man, uh, every generation. And uh, so we say the same thing. To, uh, you know, if we don't follow God, whom will we follow? And uh, in the modern age, there have been a lot of people who said, follow me in, in, uh, in, instead of God. Remember the Beatles, the singing, the the, the Beatles singers. They say, oh, we're more popular, we're more famous than God. John Lennon, yeah, yeah, and and in some way, yeah, he, he was right. He wasn't God, but he was. And for a lot of people, he was more famous. And and we see um, what happens in a society when people follow fame rather than. Uh, than holiness. I've, I've had the great privilege of um, knowing official saints. Most saints are not known. God mm -hmm. knows them. Church doesn't make saints. Church just declares saints. God makes saints. Uh, but when the church canonizes the saint saying, officially this one really was in tune uh, with God, and I, I've, I've, I've known them. I, and what struck me so much with these people was that uh, when you were talking to them, you were the only one in the world. You know, they weren't looking over their shoulder at somebody else. They were totally attendant on what you were saying. And you always felt happy in their presence. Mm. It is, uh, um, the church says, you know, when they're trying to figure out if somebody really was a saint, the, the ultimate question is, did they shed joy? Uh, and joy is different from happiness. Happiness is just feeling good, but joy is being good. And uh, happiness can come and go. I mean, if we're, in my parish here, hard to believe, but I think in, in my parish, there are over 300 taverns and saloons and bars and restaurants and so on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> have signs outside advertising happy hours. Oh, all right. fine. All right. But it's a happy hour. It's not a happy life. They can't offer a happy life. Mm -hmm. Only God can do that. And a happy life is one of joy. And in this book, my, my book, he, he spoke to us. There are a few essays. Some people might say, well, why did you put those in? Because they're just sort of, sort of jokey. I mean, uh, humorous accounts of things, but we have to be able to laugh at ourselves, at our weakness, but we have to also laugh with God. And the devil wants us to laugh at other people, because he's always laughing at us, he's mocking us. Mm. Uh, the saints never do that. The more we listen to the voice of God, the happier we're going to be. This concludes part one of our discussion with Father George Rutler going inside the pages of He Spoke to Us, Discerning God in People and Events. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to DiscerningHearts.com. 
This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.